Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Care Package to Japan. I am your host Evangeline and I have a few announcements today. I am looking for more people to be featured as a guest on the show. So if you or someone you know would like to be on a show, please email carepackagetojapan at gmail.com and I'd love to chat with you. Also, please consider giving the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find the show as well. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hi, Kat. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I've known you for a while now. I think a little over 10 years. Um, but for, for, for the audience that don't know who you are, do you mind giving them a brief intro to who you are, where you're living right now, and what is CAT all about? <laughs> sure. I'm from the UK. I lived with my parents and my brother on a small island called the Isle of Wight. As I was growing up, I had an interest in music, so I started learning the harp. But then in my early 20s, I felt God calling me to be a missionary to Japan. So I joined an organization called Weck International and I moved to Japan just after the tsunami and nuclear power disaster in 2011. Um, me as a person, I love music, but I also love being in nature. I love being by the sea and listening to the waves. I spend a lot of my free time reading books. I love fantasy like the Lord of the Rings or anything like that. Um, and I love going to coffee shop and eating chocolate brownie. I didn't know that you enjoyed chocolate brownie. That is awesome. Where do you find or make chocolate brownie in Japan right now? Okay, so thankfully I can get all the ingredients that I would get in the UK in my local supermarket in Japan. So I can make it at home. And if I've made a batch, then I obviously have to eat the whole batch. So that keeps me going for a while. Have you tried offering it to um, the people that you work with? Sometimes, yeah. When I've had people around for dinner or for lunch or for tea or something, then we can eat it together. But a lot of the time there is some left and then that's my part for later. Yeah, I actually don't think I know too much of your story of how God called you to Japan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because when I when I met you, it was um, right after the tsunami, I believe, or maybe a year after. Um, so we, we didn't really dig too deep into how God placed Japan on your heart. And I love to hear more about that. Sure. I was brought up in a Christian home and I was going to a Church of England church with my family from a young age. But as I was growing up, I started playing this harp and the harp was a really big thing in my life. I wanted to become a professional and I practiced for hours and hours and hours a day. But as I got to the end of high school, I began to wonder whether this really was the right thing. And after entering university, I started to think, actually, if I'm a professional harpist, I have to go to a different place every day, meet a different group of people, play a concert, get home really late, then I'll sleep in the next morning and might not able to be able to go to church on a Sunday. And I started questioning, is this what God wants me to do with my life? And during that time, God really showed me how much he loved me 
and how much my worth is in being a child of God and not in what I do and how much I achieve. So I started asking God, could you use me? Do you want me to give up the harp? Do you want me to work in the church? What do you want me to do? And I met a wet missionary at a summer camp I was helping with. I wasn't particularly intentional. I happened to bump into them and we happened to start talking because it was raining outside and I couldn't get back to where I was staying. But as I listened to this missionary talking, I started feeling really excited. He was telling me about a programme that my mission runs to get musicians to work in mission, to try and help people from all nations around the world worship God in their heart language and their heart music. I just felt the spirit prompting me to apply for this programme. So I applied to that organisation and in 2010, they placed me in Japan for three months. Honestly, when I first heard it was Japan, I cried. I'd never thought about Japan in my whole life. I thought missions was about all countries and Africa and humanitarian aid work. So my image of Japan was high-rise buildings and robots. But I thought, it's just a three-month trip. I can be obedient to God and see what it's like. So I came to Japan in 2010, and I was down south near to Kyoto. And I loved it. It seemed like God had planned this place for me, and he was just showing me through everything, every day, how much he loved me. The gentleness of the Japanese people really ministered to me and also their thankfulness. And I was able to hire a heart while I was staying in Japan at that time and do some outreach concerts in the local church. And when we did these concerts, people were coming into the churches for the first time and the pastor was able to give a gospel message. So they were hearing the gospel message about Jesus for the very first time too. And I just felt, this is where I want to be. So I asked God, will you send me to Japan? Will you let me be a long-term missionary to Japan? And I felt God saying, yeah, I will send you. So I returned to England as planned and I started applying to a mission agency. I joined my mission agency in the autumn of 2010 and I was planning to come to Japan the following year, 2011, to start language learning. My mission only accepts new missionaries in either spring or autumn so that you can start a language school. So the very earliest time that I could come to Japan was March of 2011. But there was one problem for me, and that was that I didn't have enough promised support. My church had never sent a missionary before and they were a small church without much finance. My mission is a faith mission, so we don't make any appeals for funds. So I knew that I didn't have enough money to live in Japan and I couldn't tell people that. I was advised by my mission agency, pray that God provides enough for you that you can go. So I was praying and thinking, what's going to happen? I've heard all these amazing stories about how God provides for people. And then right at the beginning of March in 2011, I received this huge financial gift from an anonymous donor. 
that was going to enable me to live for two whole years in Japan without worrying. My mission rejoiced with me. They gave me the go-ahead to book my plane ticket. And I researched plane tickets and I booked my plane ticket on the 9th of March 2011, just two days before that tsunami happened. And then, yeah, the disaster happened and it felt to me that God knew his plans for me. He knew when he gave me that money, he knew when I bought my plane ticket that there was going to be a disaster. And I felt like his plans hadn't changed. So I came to Japan as planned on the 24th of March that year and felt that God was calling me to serve up with the survivors of the tsunami. That's how it all started. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. I wrote down quite a bit of questions because there's so many follow-up questions that I want to ask just in regards to this one aspect of your journey. Yeah, so you mentioned um, in the beginning that you really felt and experienced God's love for you. So even before asking God to use you, even before asking God to like send you and use your talents, you felt like you were able to understand God's love, deep love for you. Do you mind talking a little more about that on how you were, did anything happen or how you were able to not just, because I think there's a difference between logically knowing that God loves you through, you know, reading scripture, reading the Bible. At the same time, there's a deeper knowing, a knowing within our soul that God loves you, that God is for you, that he cares about you. And it's that kind of knowing that propelled you to um, essentially ask God of like, hey, my hands are open. I'm willing to do whatever, surrender all to follow you. Um, and I love for you to just describe how you were able to know that deep love. Yeah, thanks. Um, so as I was growing up, I was quite insecure as a teenager. If my parents left the house, I was so insecure that I would lock myself in the toilet till someone came back. I just couldn't stand being alone. When friends invited me to go out to the cinema or something, I would make an excuse because I was frightened of spending time with people. But in that insecurity, I had my heart and my teachers were telling me, you're good at this. So I started putting all my worth in what I did and in my performances. And when I succeeded in a performance, it was like, yes, I'm a good person, I can do something. But when I made mistakes, I felt like I was this terrible person who could never get anywhere in life. And so that led to a lot of overwork and overpractice. So in high school and in the first years of university, I was practicing maybe six hours a day. But that way of living got me really, really down. I just couldn't understand what I was living for, what I was practicing for. 
and I didn't want that way of life. I became quite depressed and I went to see a doctor. I was self-harming. And it was at that point I started to fight for what I'd heard in church. I was going to church thinking, God, I need to hear your message. I need to hear what you would say to me because my way just doesn't work. And I'd heard the gospel before, but at that point I was able to say, I want this gospel. I want it in my life. I want to receive it and I want to live by it. Because my way of life was saying, you're loved if you succeed. You're loved if people praise you. And yet God's way was saying, you're loved as you are. You're loved in your brokenness. You're loved in your sin and in your messed up. And that was life changing. I also felt God saying specifically to me, I've called you for hope. I've called you to walk in the light and not in the darkness. And that was so attractive. I just wanted more of that. I wanted to spend all my time with God and to be living in his house, to be living in his family. And I think those desires, those desires to know more of God and to be living in his love were the beginning of change in my life. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I definitely feel like I am in the middle of the journey of really experientially knowing that he, meaning God, loves me just for me, not for what I do for him. And it feels almost too scandalous. Like a part of me is like, God, you love me, not because of ministry, not because of what I can do for you. Like you just love me even in my mess ups, even in my brokenness. And that, I feel like sometimes my pride gets in the way of accepting that. So I'm definitely in the middle of struggling with that. And I appreciate your story because it just gives me one, like courage to keep wrestling with that. And two, that God really does love us. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. So, so I know it's been more than 10 years since you first got to Japan and when you arrive in Japan, it was in the thick of the tsunami, the thick of the cleanup, um, the recovery, the rebuilding. And I know 10 years is a lot to summarize um, in a short conversation, um, but I love to know in retrospect, now that you've been in Japan for going on 11, 11 years, 12 years, um, 11 years. Yeah, I love to know how you would describe or um, share with people what that journey's been like, specifically with God. So you and the Lord, what that's been like for the past 10 years in Japan. Big question. So I came to Japan age 23. I'd come out of depression only two or three years before that. And 
I spent my first year in language school making short volunteer trips up to the disaster zone. Then from my second year, I was living in the disaster zone. I didn't have a stable house of my own. I was sharing my bedroom with different volunteers every week. My days were spent with listening to the survivors' stories, listening to these stories of death and of devastation and of despair. And the first thing I felt was how much God loved those people. I felt like God was crying over this part of Japan. And I had this image of the Japanese flag, you know, the white flag with the red spot in the middle. And I just imagined this flag kind of superimposed over a map of Japan. And then it was like Jesus' nail, the nail that nailed Jesus to the cross was piercing that red circle on the flag and then Jesus' blood just flowed out in this red circle over the whole country. And the image just really said to me, look, I died for Japan. My sacrifices for all of these people, I love them so much. And that was my motivation for the work that I did, to tell people how much Jesus loved them. But also my reality was that I hadn't dealt with any major natural disasters before. I hadn't spent that much of my life in serious ministry. So I did struggle quite early on. I struggled with stress in my first year. And I found myself getting quite angry because I was trying to minister and tell people, tell people about God's love. So why weren't people looking after me too? I started to get angry at my co-workers and feel resentful. And God had to really still work in me over that. He showed me my lack of love for my co-workers. How when I'm angry at my co-workers, I wasn't thinking the best of them. I wasn't seeing my co-workers as God sees them. And I made a decision not to be angry at those around me, not to blame other people around me for my problems, the problems that were my responsibility, like taking care of myself. And when I made that decision, I felt Jesus walking with me so closely because he walked to the cross, not blaming anyone else for the pain that he was going through, even though it wasn't his to take even though that was my pain that he was holding on the cross. He didn't blame me for it. It's hard to explain, but during that experience, I just felt Jesus closer to me than I'd ever felt before. I also felt him showing me my sinfulness, my lack of love for other people. And I felt him giving me the strength to be there, to not be stressed and to show love to others. So that was yeah, a huge thing for me spiritually. You mentioned that you had this almost change of kind of like stop blaming other people or like basically essentially you start taking responsibility for yourself. Um, how did you, how did you came into that realization, um, that switch of like, oh, I'm gonna not 
fault other people for my problems and I'm gonna take on that responsibility myself like what made you how did you become aware of that and what made you decide to choose that yeah yeah so when I found myself getting angry and stressed in the disaster zone for me that affects me physically um when I'm stressed I find it harder to eat so I was losing weight and I was losing stamina and to be able to continue loving the people around me to be able to continue my ministry I needed to be physically fit so I took a few weeks out I took a few weeks holiday and went down to my mission headquarters and it was during that time that I talked to God about everything that I was going through and there was one book that really helped me it was called The Calvary Road by I think Roy Hestian and it said that the way of the cross is to take responsibility for our sin for example if if I need to talk to someone about something I've done wrong then it said it said in the book don't say I've done this wrong I'm sorry but you also did that wrong and I'd never heard that before so I started thinking actually in my last month in the disaster zone I have hurt other people because I've I've had to take a month out of work and I can apologize to these people and say I'm sorry I messed up I'm sorry I got angry I'm sorry I said those words that I shouldn't say and I decided not to say but I really wanted you to look after me more and deciding not to say that was a really big thing for me and that was part of saying God you placed me in this environment and God I trust you that you will be enough for me in this environment I'm not going to blame the people around me that this environment is hard. I'm not going to blame you, God, that this environment is hard. I'm just going to learn to be a child of God in this disaster zone. I'm going to learn to trust you, God, in this disaster zone. The verse that I'm thinking about is counting the cost of following Jesus. Um, I think as I mature more and more in my faith, I'm realizing that there is a point of change between infancy and maturity. Um, just like when Paul talks about uh, milk versus solid food. And I think there's a correlation of that and, you know, counting the cost of following Jesus. Following Jesus does not mean the easy road. Following Jesus does not mean a life void of pain. Um, following Jesus does not mean that I don't receive the consequences of my choices. It, it actually means, you know, I own the consequences of my choices, whatever I decide in life, but God is with me through that. And I feel like that's what adulting <laughs> a lot of times um, it's about and it's a tough thing to learn um but I think you've done it very gracefully and very beautifully and it's it's truly a joy to see um just the progression of who you are 
now. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I think it was the disaster zone was really hard. I was struggling and I had to decide what I was going to do with those two things. I could say, it's too hard. I can't make this work here. Or I could say, God, I believe you called me to this place. How do we do this? And in that, there was a way forward. After the time that you took a month off and we just started to step more into owning, I don't know what how, what words to use, um, owning, owning your responsibilities, um, not blaming other people. How has your relationship with God been since that time? So after that time, I went back into the disaster zone and just being there felt like a privilege. Just the fact that me, who can get so angry, and me, who blame the people around me, was allowed to be there again and was allowed to be a vessel through which God shows his love to the unbelievers again. It felt like an incredible privilege. So when I went back initially, there was just a lot of joy. Even in the middle of the despair that I was hearing around me, I just felt joyful to be there. I was also very aware that to stay being there, I needed to stay very connected to God. So I took a lot of time for my personal devotions, a lot of time for journaling. And I also started a Bible study course at that point from a Bible college in Tokyo. So I started doing this sort of um, classes for two hours every evening via DVD and internet learning, which gave me a real base in the Bible that I hadn't had from church in England. That was a time of growth for me. And it was a time where the ministry also grew. I developed a friendship and relationship with many non-Christians in the area. And with my heart too, I started being invited to different churches, both in the disaster area and in different parts of Japan to give testimony and to be involved in outreach. And I carried on like that for quite a few years. And then there was another period where I needed more growth to keep going. And that was in around sort of 2017, 2018. Um, I had a virus and then I had post-viral fatigue for a number of months. And I couldn't work as I wanted to work during that time. I got tired very quickly and the tiredness confused me. I didn't know what to do with it. So even though before coming to Japan, God had taught me about being a child of God, even though in that first time of exhaustion, God had told me that he loved me as I was. In that time in 2017, 18, I felt I was learning that even more deeply. It was so easy in the disaster zone to get up in the morning, living with the volunteers in the volunteer centre, and you'd start the day together, you'd make breakfast together, you'd do your devotions together, you'd go out to work together, you'd get back in the evening, you'd debrief together, then I'd go off and do my Bible study and then I'd sleep. And the days were long and hard. So in 2017, 2018, I started to find different rhythms of work and rest. And what really surprised me was that when I work less, I don't achieve any less. 
taking a day off or two days off a week showed me that this isn't my work, this is God's work. And it started to change my perceptions of myself and of God. And it taught me more how to rest in him and trust him in what I'm doing. I've been really thinking about um, like every human being as individuals, um, we are uniquely fashioned after the image of God and we are all different and I don't know if this is 100% true. Uh, feel free to challenge me. Currently, my belief is that everyone's rhythm looks different because everyone is unique. And I love to know how you were able to discover yours um, because I, I feel like it's in that finding the right rhythm with God where we are able to really understand what it means to rest and also really understand what it means to co-create um, with God while while we're not resting. And that's where we find deep fulfillment in Him. Um, so I love to hear some of your thoughts around that in your personal journey. Yeah, great questions. I think to start with, it was about thinking, what do I do that helps me to feel close to God? For everyone, as you say, that's different. For me, when I'm walking in nature, I find those times of prayer really helpful. I'm an introvert, so I also find contemplative prayer helpful, just sitting in silence and listening to God, I find makes me feel at rest and helps me to draw close to God. I also need conversations with people, with older Christians or with missionaries in a similar context to be able to process the things I'm going through. And another thing I find helpful is reading books that draw me deeper in knowledge about God and about His Word. So it was working out what I need in my life. And then it was thinking, how can I get those things in the context that I'm currently in? For example, if I was in a church in the UK, it would be really easy to get fellowship and friendship with others regularly. But in the situation I was in, I was in a fishing village in the north of Japan with a number of hardly any Christians in the whole town. I could probably count and name the Christians that were in that town. And none of them were my age. None of them spoke my language. So it was thinking, well, if I'm not going to get the fellowship that I need here in this place, then how can I be creative and get that through Skype or through emails or through traveling maybe for a day every month to meet people that are further away from me? And I had to give myself permission to do those things and say, actually, it's important to take the time out from my work and my ministry to get the fellowship that I need. It's important to take the time out to go for that walk and just sit and pray. God doesn't need me to be visiting survivors 24-7. He needs me to be close to him because if I'm not close to him, then he can't use me in the same way. So... From my interaction um, being in Japan and having been there multiple times, I know that there is this, how do I describe it? 
sense of uniformity and sense of not sticking out. And I love to hear how you were able to overcome that specifically in the area of rest. Um, because I know that also persists, the idea of uniformity also persists within ministry itself and also within church. Um, and sometimes when we as individuals carve out our God-given um, needs and desires, it's not always uniform because each of us are created very differently. Um, so I love to hear how you were able to either overcome your own internal critic or if, I don't know, if externally you have experienced backlashes for needing to take a break or connect with missionaries from outside of town. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I think this is a pretty prevalent topic specifically within Japan where there is that almost like oppressive nature of needing to look a certain way or conform a certain way. Yeah, certainly the Japanese secular culture is a workaholic culture. You've got salarymen leaving their houses at half seven in the morning and not getting back till 10 o'clock at night and doing that five or six days a week. And that secular culture spills over into the church. So you've got people working five days a week and then they come to church on Sunday and they will do all the church meetings on a Sunday so that people don't leave the church building till Sunday evening. And it will be a lot about doing and not so much about resting. So it was very hard in that context to say, do you know what, I can't do that. If I try and do it like you're doing it, then actually I'm just going to burn out and it's not going to work for me. But knowing myself that I can't do that I think was the first step if I try and work 24-7 then I'm gonna not be close to God and I'm not gonna be effective believing that was the first step believing that God's got a better way and looking at the Bible and seeing what God's saying to me rather than what the culture's saying to me was also important Seeing that God takes the Sabbath. If God takes the Sabbath, why would I think that I couldn't take a Sabbath? Or seeing that Jesus sits down and rests at that well in Samaria. Or he takes his disciples to a lonely place. Or he gets up when everyone else is doing something else and he just goes and sleeps. Seeing what Jesus does is incredibly freeing. It's hard to go against culture, but it's definitely worth seeing what God is asking us to do and putting that first thing. I love talking to you so much. <laughs> I, this is so great. Um, I felt like last time when we connected back in 2011 or 12, I was still a little kid with like half-baked thoughts and now that I'm a little bit older <laughs> I can ask you all these fun uh fun questions um yeah I I'd love to know 
because as you go against culture, as you go against what you know Japanese culture think is the norm, there is this sense of maybe lonely loneliness. Um, and and I love to hear how in those moments of deciding to go against culture. One, what gave you that courage to to be like, yeah, I want to go against culture, and I know I might be alone in this,、um, and I will bear the consequences of this, but I'm choosing,、um, I'm choosing to do this because I know my soul needs it, and I also would love to hear how God has、um, been with you through through that journey. I think the courage partly came from knowing that I couldn't go on in that way, and that I was going to burn out. So, wanting to be effective for God long term, and knowing that working all the time wasn't going to do that, that certainly gave me the push to try and sort something out so that my life looked different. I was also very blessed with a couple of mentors at that time, both living in the UK. Who were speaking good words into my life, telling me the importance of rest, showing me where to look in the Bible, and to have people that have travelled that road before you and have proved it to be a road of blessing is a huge encouragement. So, looking at those people's lives and seeing how they're ministering to people, seeing how their ministry is affected, opened my eyes to doing things in a different way. Then I think when you start walking that road of rest, it gives you a step back from what everyone else is doing. It lets you see things and think about things slightly differently. So you can see that that person you've just listened to, who has said they can't wait for their holiday in a year's time, you can see that that's not effective and that that's not healthy and that that's not what God wants for them. And then you can start praying for them in that situation, and praying that they would know God's rest every day too, that they wouldn't have to wait a year for the rest that they're looking for. I think God's rest is just an incredibly beautiful gift that He gives us, and when we experience it, we wouldn't want anything else. Having experienced it, I don't think I could go back to. Working manically because I would know that I was missing something. I feel like something incredible happens all the time as I'm interviewing different missionaries or different friends.、Um, I just love how God uses individuals' experience to bless and encourage others.、Um, so I am very blessed by your journey because personally, I am. In the middle of growing, understanding, and learning what my rhythm looks like, what rest looks like, which part of it is counterculture, and and it's it's a it's an awkward process. <laughs> it's it's awkward. It's it's not easy.、Um, so I feel very blessed and encouraged,、uh, even just hearing your story. So thank you for that. Where would you say you are now in terms of that? So I came back from home leave just six months ago. I spent a year in the UK, 
and I've moved to a new town, to a new ministry placement. And somehow it feels different to before and it feels good. It feels fruitful. And I like the way that it feels. I've Because I've started somewhere new, I've been able to set my rhythms more clearly rather than being trying to drop things that were too much. I can, I can look at something I'm asked to do and I can think, yes, I want to do that. That fits with what I believe God is calling me to do here. Or I can say, actually, no, I could do that. And it would be good, but it wouldn't be God's best for me at this time. Um, for example, there was one non-Christian lady and I had tea with her. And to start with, she said, would you teach me piano? And I thought, well, there are lots of piano teachers around here. And I think you probably do better learning piano from one of them. So I said, no. Then she said, would you teach me English? And teaching English is just not my favorite thing. I don't think I'm gifted in that area. So I said, no, again. And then she said, well, would you teach me the Bible? And it was just a huge blessing because since then we've been opening the Bible together and I can see her eyes opening as she looked at God's word. And had I said yes to doing piano with her, maybe she would have never asked me to do the Bible with her. So yeah, I'm enjoying being in the place that I'm in now. I'm enjoying being able to make decisions and to pray to God about what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And I'm enjoying having the freedom to do that, that I do have with my missions organisation. I know that's more difficult for some other people. I love that. That sounds like it's so wonderful um, to really step into, I'm thinking of the verse where Jesus is telling his disciples that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it really sounds like you are experiencing that because the word yoke in the Bible, it's used for describing the oxen that are used to pull um, and to like, the word is slipping my mind, um, to tilt the soil. Um, so I don't typically associate work with easy yoke um, <laughs> yet Jesus uses that to describe entering his rest that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light and it's really delightful to hear that you're stepping in in that um, that is really good to know it feels like a gift from God I think we can try really hard to help people around us and I'm positive that God uses that but I also think there's times where he's using us for the people around us and we haven't even noticed that he's doing it and I think that's a beautiful thing. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please give a five star on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like to be featured on the show, email carepackage to japan at gmail.com. And I love to chat with you as well. Until next time, bye.